Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Welcome back, friends. I am so excited you're here. Today, Sammy Carter shares her heart on foster parenting and the process of adoption. When Sammy and her husband began the process of fostering, she hadn't prepared her heart to adopt, but sometimes our plans don't go our way. There was something else in the works. Listen in to Sammy's sweet story of their road to adoption. Hi guys, I am here with Sammy Carter and I am so excited to hear about her journey uh, to adoption. So Sammy, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked um, to hear this because I've been following you on Facebook and I've seen little snips of, of your journey and I was so thrilled when I saw that you were finally going to adopt your sweet boy. So tell us, just start by telling us a little about who you are and what you do and where you live. Yeah. So I actually, my husband and I currently live in Michigan, but we are both originally from Iowa and we've been here since about, oh gosh, I've been here for almost seven years and he's been here for six. So quite, oh, I feel like a long time, an era is what we keep calling it. Like, yeah, we, we've been here for a while. Um, I actually moved here originally for a job. I graduated from Iowa State with a food science degree and started in the world of manufacturing. Um, now, full time, I work for a wholesale distributor and like it's mainly our, our main customer is like restaurants and churches and daycares and nursing homes and things like that that need food. Um, but we also have a store division, so I get to lead the food safety for our store division. So I have kind of like a really quirky job that people are like, oh, I guess that exists. I never thought of it, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, I was like, what brought you there? So that's very cool. So I actually, I took the job out. My husband graduated from Iowa State a year ahead of me in Minneapolis. And I took the job thinking, well, under the assumption that it was a rotational program, but I didn't rotate. So I never got to the ending Minnesota location. I just was asked to stay here. So that was kind of cool. I really thought we'd end up in the Twin Cities, but Grand Rapids is beautiful. It's really close to like Michigan and it's kind of got it all. It's like a little for the Iowa people. Like it's like a bigger Des Moines close to a big lake. Yeah. Which is ocean-esque because it's so big. It is very ocean-esque. So We've talked a little bit about your family. Can you start at the beginning where you met your husband? You met him at Iowa State? Yeah. So we actually um, met like five weeks into my journey at Iowa State. We like stereotypical, like he was in a fraternity. I had just joined a sorority. We were paired together for homecoming and we met through like activities there. Um, We were like super good friends. From at the beginning, like just kind of my go-to person. I had a clunky computer right out of school or like started school with a really clunky computer. And he was the guy that like always fixed it. He was 
the person I would text when I was ready to go home from a party and wanted to walk. And like, he was just like my go-to, like really good friend, had a lot of fun and also was just very resourceful. So yeah, for like the first semester, like I call it like the start of Jeremy's pursuit because I was like not interested in like slowing down. I did not want to like date him. I had dated basically someone almost constantly throughout the end of high school. Um, And even like, just, I don't know, I needed to be alone. I was like, I should learn to be alone. Right. But I really enjoyed spending time with him and really enjoyed his company. And so we joke, like when it really turned, um, he, and Kimmy, you know, my dad. So like a sarcastic, tough guy, but actually a big, big teddy bear. Um, right. He, Jeremy would be scary. Me- I would be scared. If I was pursuing you, I would definitely be scared of your dad for sure. <laughs> right. Like I, I wonder what Jeremy's take like now is on my dad. But so over Thanksgiving, Jeremy, like really, this just shows his like child heart. He like drew a turkey hand my freshman year, colored it in and mailed me cookies in the mail over Thanksgiving break. But fun fact, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving break is not very long. And so I was already back at school by the time it came. And so my dad gets the mail and he's like, some guy sent you cookies in the mail. And I can hear him eating I can, them over the phone. I can see this happening. I can hear it and I can see it. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, oh yeah, that's just my friend, Jeremy. And <laughs> he like, loves, he loves Thanksgiving. He sends this yeah. to everyone. It's fine. Yeah, I was like, yeah, no, it's just my friend Jeremy from Thanksgiving. He's like, well, he's from Carroll. Nothing good has ever come out of Carroll County. Like, and that's like a long <laughs> joke in our family. Um, ever since Jeremy has, like, they've met Jeremy. And I'm starting to draw the story out too long, but it's just so funny in the beginning. Like over Christmas, I invited him to come to Cedar Rapids because we were bored. And it's Thanksgiving break. What do you do as a college? And my dad's like, you are not just inviting a friend to drive three hours. And I'm like, nope, just a friend. It's just a friend. He's <laughs> my dad's like, not a friend. a friend, not a friend. I don't trust you. My mom was like crying, trying to get more information on. I'm like, no, really I'm keeping him in that friend zone as long as possible. But ultimately like we started dating first semester, like end of January, my freshman year. And I really didn't want to date him at the time. Cause I didn't want to stop dating. Like I remember telling my friends that like, I'm pretty sure I won't date anyone else. And here we are 10 years later. <laughs> Isn't it just crazy how those things happen? Yeah. You just like, kind of, like, yeah. It, so we, we've been married. It'll be five years in April. Time flies. But yeah, I, I, I kind of like knew from the beginning that it wasn't going anywhere. But yeah, that's, that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, it's been a long time now. So that's so wonderful. So then you got married five years ago and did, were kids something that you talked about having initially? What did, what did the conversation around children look like for you? Yeah. So we both knew that we wanted a family. Um, We were very much in the like, let's wait, like, let's have fun. We were one, not like the first of our friends to get married, but like a handful of our friends were getting married, but everyone just kind of like had the intention to like, slow it into like slow it into growing your family have Mm -hmm. a lot of fun um we went on some really fun trips um and it just like we were we knew we wanted them but we kind of had like the not yet mentality and um we I think what's really funny about this is like looking back to like our first couple years of marriage or even just like as we were getting ready to get married and have these conversations we just were never like settled on like what it looked like to have a family um and 
then it felt like foster care just kept coming into my heart. Like we were doing a small group at church and it had lots of reflective periods and like foster care would enter every single reflection that I had. And that is probably 2000, like that is probably like 2017, 2018. It just entered every single thought that I, 2017 for sure. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, And had it, and had that been something that you thought about prior to this, you know, getting more serious gonna be really honest like I lived in a nice little naive bubble and didn't really deeply consider what foster care was or looked like like I don't remember there was one child in growing up that I was friends with that was involved in foster care but it was just like it never clicked with me what that really looked like and what that really was um, I think I just like was peeped into like exposed to it by a friend who had just started like the training process and dug a little more into it. And just the fact that it kept coming up in my heart, I kept like doing more research, following more hashtags, like getting to know people's experience, understanding not only like the foster parents experience, but the bio parents experience, adoptive parents experiences. And I taught probably started talking about it a full year before I convinced Jeremy that it was the right step um, in like building our family. And a lot of that was because I have seen like in just reading comments, learning about people, a lot of people say they want to do it, but I'm going to have bio kids first and then I'll do it. And I was like, wow, if I am hesitant to do it before I have other little lives and I have fear to do it then. I can't imagine what fear I'll have once I've had like bio children. So we talked about that. Like we are more likely to do it now and expose ourselves to it and make it a part of our family now, just with our personalities and how we're set up. Um, So let's do it. Let's just jump in. Let's go all in full. Like we were the epitome, like, I feel like there's two people in classes, right? Or like that you meet through the process, the people that are doing it, um, sadly, like have struggled with an infertility journey or are done building their family biologically and just really, really focus on foster care to adapt. Well, we went in, well, like, we don't really know, like, maybe we don't, can't have kids. We don't know. Like we are here for foster care for its intents and purposes. Like we are ready to reunify families, get to know birth families and like do this thing. Like I joke that we were the opposite bright-eyed and bushy-tailed parent going into foster care, like super, like there is total heartbreak here, but God is full of grace and this can be beautiful. And we can really help this family get back together is really what we went in to it with. Um, And Jeremy had always had a gut feeling that it would eventually result in adoption. And we were open to that too. Um, so that's kind of like where we started the process. So you had, you had those conversations and you were ready. So what were the steps that you took? Yeah, every, from what I'm learning, especially right now, um, everywhere is so different and we are really blessed to live in Kent County, Michigan and Kent County has a really strong training program, a really like robust, like support system. Um, That doesn't mean that it's flawless by any means. There's still like challenges and all of that. But our first step's like really it's going to an orientation, learning more about it. And there you can sign your yes for like training. 
Um, so we actually went to our first orientation in July of 18 and we were like, okay, this is good. Got the list of like the future trainings. And we actually, I think we're going on a vacation, like, and it was just going to miss like, cause they try to get you through that training really quickly. So we were going to miss like a couple of trainings and then I had work travel. And so we were like, okay, so this session's not going to work. Like we want to be able to be fully present and fully dedicate our energy to this. So let's just kind of wait and see. So we didn't sign anything in July. And that was kind of, I don't know, kind of a blessing in disguise because I think we were exposed to a lot more stories um, and a lot more people like us that were super pro reunification. It felt like at first everyone we met was like so focused on foster to adopt, especially at that first orientation. That was really kind of overwhelming for us because we're like, wait, like we're not here to like pull further, pull the child from their family. We're here to provide support so that family can get back together. And so that time between July and October, when we went to our second orientation was just a time to like see more people like us. And I think that God does work in weird ways. Right. And so he was just doing that work in us to like encourage us that there is more reunification focused and that is the right intention to go right intention. That isn't a key intention to go into. So we started classes in September, October finished them by the end of January. It's just like everywhere is different. Ours is like a 16, um, so 16 times 32 hour class. Um, and then you do home studies. They come check out your home. Really simple stuff that like, I think you get nervous by the home study idea, but if you have the heart to provide for foster care, you probably have the means to do it in your home. And it's just space of like, where are they going to sleep? Is there a window? is there enough room for them? Like, it's crazy how much you think that it's going to be. And then it's super simple. Like, yeah. lock your chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> put your medicine away. Have a window for the child. Like, yeah. don't put too many children in a small space. Like, it's, I was so overwhelmed for that process. And then I think my heart kind of broke with how little I needed to care. Did you feel like there should be more? Because the, you're saying that and I'm thinking... I wish that there might be more, like more qualifications or, you know, like that's, yeah. that's, that's where my brain goes. But at the same time, I haven't been through the process. Yeah. As far as like the home goes, I think that like, just knowing they have to make it basic, like knowing, like I, I felt myself, yes, longing for more, but I also understood, like felt this understanding that like, wow, you have to make this basic so that grandma in her really, really old house, really low income family can take her son in through foster care or her grandson in through foster care to care for him or family members like that. Like since the system is so rooted in poverty. Yeah. I, I recognize like the way it's designed is so they can keep at least kids with kin or bio family before they pursue other families. And so that I think that that's when I really like had the aha moment that like, wow, this is easy for me because I am so fortunate. Like, and other people aren't that way. And they're fighting tooth and nail to like get their kids to stay at least in their circle. Yeah. So I hear my privilege speaking is what I hear. Isn't it? Own, isn't it like, crazy? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? That is one thing that I have learned. Like, wow, privilege creeps in, in so many spaces and I'm like inserting myself into the middle of recognizing all of this. Like, whew. <laughs> it's, 
it's crazy what you can become aware of when you like really immerse yourself in it. I mean, you, you made the modifications necessary to your house then. And what sort of conversations did you and your husband have? I mean, did you, did you ever have those conversations? Like, you know, like what if our heart breaks too much and we can't do this anymore? Like what, what if we we've always been pretty open communicators if we set the time aside. So we were like, okay, we need to have the time set aside because we do tend to fulfill our calendars, if not overfill them. This is going to fill them more. We're going to have to reduce priorities. So one, we were really open, intentional about, we have to check in on how we are doing individually and that we're getting the time and space we need. We need to check in on how we're doing maritally and we're getting the time and space where we need. And we need to be willing to be really candid with ourselves on if we're a good fit for these kids, these kids are a good fit for us. And then, and that's kind of like in the placement, right? And then if the placement comes to adoption, it's okay if I really want this and you don't or vice versa. Like we just have to be super candid with each other in conversation and really aware of how we're feeling because not only does it impact our individual well-being in our marriage, but it also truly impacts like this child's, the children's lives, right? So that was kind of like, we just have to know that it's okay to be candid with each other and really talk through things. And we have to schedule space to do that. So for us, that was like really every Sunday night. And then like big picture, it was like, okay, when a placement ends or looks like it's ending, whether that's reunification with actual bio parent, or if that's reunification with kin or family or moving to another foster home, cause it's not a good fit we have to pause and reflect. Like we can't just jump from placement to placement or whatever. We have to have time, like make sure we have time to reflect on what happened and what is gonna happen going forward and how we're doing. Uh, For us, that was like, okay, so we're gonna take a weekend away. Like the second weekend that it's got, like it's the first weekend we can get when our house is empty. Like we need to try to get away so we can not be burdened by the chaos of home and mm-hmm. what that is. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like how we planned it out and intended for all things to go. How did it go for you? We are really well intended people. <laughs> <laughs> we have the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And I will say like in the beginning, it was we, so our, our adopted son, it was our first placement and he's a great sleeper. Like thank you, Jesus. He's a good sleeper. Like he, once he's down, he's down. So we were really fortunate there. And we were really routine about like checking in and unplugging once he was asleep. Keyword once he was asleep. Um, But so that it was really easy in the beginning, but as things got more chaotic and as the climate of the world changed last March, it got more challenging um, to like, it more challenging for those connections and those conversations to come naturally like it was more forced and shoot we haven't I haven't checked in on you in a long time like we haven't checked in on us in a long time like let's that that was it it got more spread out than we would want it um but it was it only became more important to be honest absolutely I mean when you're in that close of quarters and you know so many shifts have been happening for all of the people living in your home Mm -hmm. um already I mean as a child the unknown of, you know, foster care in general and being so young and then, oh, pandemic, you know, I, I mean, just like thinking about how, you know, children in foster care must have been feeling at this time. 
Um, I had never thought about that until just this moment. That's really huge and heavy for these kids. Yeah. And I think like too, at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know if you saw all these like the like memes or story, whatever going around, but like one of them was like, wow, these kids are resilient. And it's like, actually they are coming off really resilient because that's what they know they, they're capable and know they to do. Ha- right. That's what they but they're internalizing they- all of this, man. Right. Like it, it's impacting them more than we can see. That's why we feel like they're so resilient. And it's, just, it's the same as fought for foster care, right? Everyone got a peek into it though in the last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your son now was your first placement. So when did you get the call for him yeah. and how so, quickly did that happen? Oh my gosh. It is, I, this is where I start laughing at my like bright the plan plan. <laughs> like and I knew I, and Cammy, I tell you, like I reminded myself so many times, like you can't have plans. You can't have um, expectations. Like every single placement is going to look different. No story you've read, no blog you read, no personal testimony you've heard, no book nothing is going to be what your case is going to look like. And I told myself that, but I don't think that deep down, I believed it. I, I can tell you <laughs> deep down, I didn't believe it. Um, so we got our license on June 18th of 2019. And we got the, our first call on June 26th of 2018 or 2019, a year before the pandemic. Um, <laughs> how, however many years ago that Truly mm-hmm. was. It's, um, it's, did, will any of us ever know okay, how just, long? How many years has it been? I don't even know. Yes, yes, 2020 was so long. Um, so it feels like so long ago. But so we got a call like June 26th, so like less than 10 days after having our license. And um it was I had my list, so I traveled for work at the time, and so I had my little notebook with my list of things to ask ready to go because I didn't want to like I wanted all the information I could get in the beginning, which is something they recommend through and through. Um, so I ran to the car. I got my little notebook out ready to like take notes and call Jeremy. And the um, placement worker was just like, we have a four-year-old boy coming into care, like gave answered my question, shared a little, little, little bit about his story, shared some stuff that was held to be true, some stuff that held to be um, not, not true or just like far off. Like it was definitely documented wrong anyways. So she's like four-year-old boy. The keywords that stuck out to me was 30 to 90 day placement. And so we're like, okay, it's June. That's July, August, September max. Like what a fun age to end the summer with. So we were, cause we were licensed from zero to five. Um, and I think our mind was always thinking that long-term placements would be more in that zero to two range. Um, but so we were like, okay, perfect. What a fun way to end the summer. And called Jeremy, his birthday was the next day. They were going to give us, he was currently, he had been in foster care for almost a year, over a year at that point, I think if all the dates are accurate. Um, almost a year at that point, he was just the placement he was in had to get some things in order and relocate in order to like maintain regain placement. And there were other family members, um, another family member that was starting to become curious. 
And so we were like, okay, perfect. This sounds like a really good place to start with where our hearts are and what our intentions are. So that's how the placement came. We thought we were gonna have five days to prepare. Monday was gonna be the transition. Turns out I get a call the next morning, Jeremy's birthday. I'm two hours away for work. And they're like, hey, how soon can I come drop him off? And I'm like, wait, you're supposed to be calling me to give me more information about questions you couldn't answer today. <laughs> Everything was fine. And we were just moving him for whatever. But that's where like the unknowns peep in and all of that. And so, yeah, I drove home as fast as I could. At that time, my brother was renting our basement. And so he, it was a Thursday, it was his day off. So he started like transitioning. We had a crib set up in our like um, room. Granted, all that had to be done is like take the front gate off and like set yeah, it up to be a toddler bed. Yeah. But that hadn't been done. And if you're coming in and I like just my, where my heart was at is I want his room to feel ready for him. Yeah. He not gets like, here. Right. And so it was like, we had a couple of toys and books that were like baby appropriate and toddler appropriate and young child appropriate. And so it was like switching that out. And my brother was a huge help um, because Jeremy was still at work. It literally happened that Jeremy pulled in the driveway from work, came inside, like had enough time for a half of a breath. And the caseworker pulled up with our um, foster son at the time. And wow, did everything change at that little yeah. moment? Talk about meeting. Yeah. So he, there was a little shyness, which is very uncommon for him now that I've known him for two years. Um, a little bit of shyness and he just got out of the car and he in his sweet little four-year-old voice was like I'm Landon and I'm gonna stay here for a little bit oh. Oh. and I literally like melted like oh my gosh I was like yes you are and it's gonna be so fun like I just remember that like 30 second period and just like he his eyes weren't filled with like joy they weren't filled with fear they were like totally filled with hope. Like, yeah. I can, like he just, oh my gosh, it was, that was what like meeting him was like. And we got inside, got him settled in his situation. He came with plenty, plenty of things. Um, so it was like sorting through all of that stuff for him to like make him feel at home. And I actually have a, the first, very first picture I have we every night after dinner, like walk our dog. Right. So we were like explaining that to Lane and Lane was like, can I hold the leash? Yeah, of course you can. And we're like, yeah. And they just took off running together. And it Aww. was like, I thought of a picture of them like running into the sunset. It is just like, I will cherish that forever. And yeah. they call it the honeymoon stage for a reason. It was beautiful in the beginning. Like it was, it, I mean, it's always beautiful, but like but just. no, then you get, then things get hard. Like, yeah. like any yeah. relationship. Then yeah. Yeah. But then there's foster. beauty and hard together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, that's kind of like the first three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and it was beautiful and lovely. So then what, what was he kind of having to adjust to that was different for him in your home than it was in his home? Yeah. So really big thing for him. Um, as he's black. So he, this is the first time he had probably, well, he had ever slept in a white, like all white people's home. 
right? Mm -hmm. So for him, like you could tell a little bit, like at that age four, they can detect that difference. I think he was just like, oh, these people are definitely different. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, it was different yeah. for him. It was, it, was, sure. it was different for him. And it like kind of guarded him a little bit or just like made him feel uneasy. So that was probably one of the things. And then I think um, he was in a home before where he was very routine and very well loved. And like, so for him, like going to daycare every day and all of that was not as overwhelming as we thought it was going to be. Cause that first week I was off anyways with him. So he, I think kind of just adjusting to being in a two parent household was mm -hmm. big for him. Um, and, exp and that continues to be big for him, but that would be the big thing. Like, I think just adapting, like color was definitely something he noticed, but didn't talk about at the beginning, um, unless prompted, but you could tell he was very aware of it. And then just having two parents around and really kind of three, because we had my brother around too. So yeah. Yeah, he was just, I think that was kind of like overwhelm and he was the only kid in the house too. So it was all about him. That's got to be wonderful. So then what was the most difficult part um, at the beginning through the adjustments that you made? I would say through the beginning, honestly, is truly understanding their needs, right? So like at that age, you can't really talk about your feelings, but you totally have them. You are totally going through something. You're going through separation of like continued separation of attachment, right? Um, so every time he's had an attachment in his history, it's been broken to him. And mm -hmm. so like knowing like by the book, what that's doing and what trauma looks like in that and how important trauma is and like wanting to help and love and fix him, but not that sounds terrible, but that's just what my personality wants to do. It wants to prop solve the problem and help this poor little boy. And so I think that that was probably the most challenging piece was like, there's stuff going on and I want, I want to solve it. I didn't want to go at that point in time. I didn't understand the value of going through it. Yeah. And, you know, just sharing space with a little child as they're trying to figure yeah. things out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, logistically, there were, of course, like learning things, but at that time, that was kind of like fun, right? Like we were new parents in a sense, and we were lucky and our kid could at least talk and tell us that he was hungry or that he was upset because he wanted to go outside instead or whatever. So we kind of had like that more like, obviously, we didn't have those zero to four years of bonding and getting to know each other and figuring out each other's rhythms and needs. But it was fun that like someone could wake you up and be like, I want to be read to. I like want to go outside right now. And just like that kind of like fun and joy that he had. His first week here was actually like right around the 4th of July. So we had my parents came to visit. And so it was just like the thrill of a lot of fun, exciting things going on. Mm -hmm. Like logistically, like there were some changes like, oh, we can't, we have to get a babysitter if we want to do that. And we have to have a special babysitter that's been approved. And if we want to go here, like, let's see how he does at a restaurant. Like, ooh, what's going to happen there? And so there were like those learning curves and changing how we eat at night just to accommodate a four-year-old palate. And it was like, they were logistical changes, but they didn't seem nearly as hard as just wanting to like help his little heart. 
Do you feel like there were obstacles that you had to intentionally overcome? Like did his moods escalate at any time that you had to, maybe obstacles that you had to overcome or be aware of so that you could, you know, adjust your actions to? I would say like in the beginning, we were like the first, like even 10 months, honestly, I would say before um, the pandemic really, like we weren't as triggered by the big feelings and the big emotions like we really big emotions using hands and feet and screaming to pro like to voice our anger and mm-hmm. frustrations and not really knowing how to say what was truly bothering like yeah that it was really really hard and we felt like sometimes it and like it slowed us down in where we were headed or like getting out the door in the mornings, or we couldn't fully understand what he needed us to talk to him about. Um, and so like that stuff was really, really hard and really, really taxing and exhausting. But with having the separation of work, um, we played volleyball once a week at that time. So having a night to just go like play and have fun and like get away was um, a good, nice recharge for us. And so it was more exhausting and taxing than it was when you we were in the house all together with some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I just like, I think was hard to learn is the way trauma, the way kids in general change, like that you might solve one, you might solve biting, for example, you might solve biting, but it's going to show up in a different way until that like roots resolves or that root has like a new thing to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was a really big learning curve that it's like, okay, we just because we we've conquered just the example of we've, we've conquered biting, but something else is probably going to show up. And sometimes the bigger, the further you get down the path, the bigger those things are. And yeah, emotions are big. Well, and social emotional behavior, is, you know, the foundation of childhood, you know, becoming a productive member of society, like understanding what your emotions are and how you are feeling and why you're feeling that way and what has caused you to, you know, identifying all of these things. And, but like not only identifying, but then solving them in a healthy manner, healthy for you and healthy for those around you. So yeah. Um, the age that you are describing is, is so hard because if that hasn't been or taught, you know, before that time, that does, that is a big adjustment to make. So then can you talk about your victories? I mean, can you describe some of like the best times, like during the, during foster care yeah. when was under your care? Just like family wise, we had built like one of his previous placements had, really, really wanted to stay in touch and keep in contact with him. And we had built an incredible relationship with him and having him have that tie to his past just brought so much joy and comfort to him and so much support to us. So building that relationship with her and slowly, but surely that's expanded out to like some other families members that just couldn't take on the full time, but wanted to still be the aunt and wanted to still be the grandma and the cousins. And so that being able to have those relationships grow throughout was really a huge win that that worked out and that we 
honestly, it takes a little level of trust from them to us and us to them. And that we were able to build that, to have that relationship. So that was a huge win really Landon. And I wouldn't share his name if he wasn't ours forever. Um, but he has just grown so much in how he can be alone and play by himself. Like that was a huge thing. Um, how he can say what he needs, how he can decompress and like all Mm -hmm. of that, like slowly, but surely he has grown. And for Jeremy and I too, just our parenting style, like understanding that really I can say, no, please stop a million times, but I'm giving him attention. And so that's why he's doing like learning, like those little things about like, what is that? What is he actually wanting when he's flipping the lights on and off or like, yeah, (laughs) he's not wanting to make me crazy. No, no, I know. Or like, right. That's what I was just going to say. Like, it, it is so hard because then, you know, we, I, I imagine Sammy that you have learned m- more about yourself as well. Um, oh, heck in, yeah. you know, you are having to grow exponentially as well. And, um, oh, yeah. I mean, what a gift and a blessing that is that, that yeah. you have that. Yeah. And like, as a parent, like, sure, maybe six times out of 10, I will realize what he needs in that moment, but I'm still going to get frustrated four times. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's so funny. Like, even once you make the switch the first time you think, oh my gosh, this is life changing. Like, I'm always going to know that. No, you're not girl. You are (laughs) going to be cooking dinner and you are going to want the lights on Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something like, like, that's just a silly example, but like, but, but I mean, so learning it universal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about when you knew you wanted to adopt. What did that conversation look like between you and your husband? So funny, Cammie. So funny. We, so like I said, like we were those bright eyed, bushy tails, like pro reunification, Jeremy deep down. I I think I said this in the beginning, Jeremy deep down, like knew that eventually this was going to end in adoption. And I was totally fine with that. Like, I don't care what our family looks like, as long as it's filled with kids that know they're loved. Um, so the second night we put Landon to bed and we were just like, it was the day after Jeremy's birthday. So we had, I had gotten like a nice bottle of wine to celebrate his birthday and first day chaos. We didn't get to do that. So we were sitting down, like had a glass of wine and Jeremy sits down and he's like, you know what, Sammy, I have a feeling that this is going to end in adoption. Like I don't, I think we're Landon's last stop. I think we're Landon's forever. And I was like, Jeremy, this is day two. It's a 30 to 90 day placement. Like we are supposed to be pro reunification. And he's like, I know. And I'll stand for that. But in my gut, I think that this is his forever. And I, of course, like planner controller, like mine, I was like, okay, you can feel that way, but we cannot act that way. You cannot act. (laughs) You can't act that way. We have to follow the process. Like this is our goal. So that was like two days in really, really heart wrenching moment. Our first court case was the termination of parental rights. And that weighed heavy. Like that is not typically your first court hearing in foster care. Like I said, that's not really a typical, um, but he had been in care for a long time. Um, unfortunately we didn't know the case well enough to like fully understand what was all going on. I mean, we had less than 30 days to get to know the little boy we were loving and his schedule and his needs better yet to understand the big picture. So 
that was a really big moment. Um, and to be in the courtroom for that, like, gosh, I hope that that is something that's experienced less and less in our lifetime, like such a hard thing. These bio parents absolutely love their children. Absolutely love them and just come from really hard places and have really seen really hard things. And so that is when our case really took a turn because it was looking different for what his forever looked like. And I think some of that was known when we took the placement on, just not shared because it wasn't, you, you can't predict all of what that will look like, right? And you can't share your opinions and your guesses, which is totally valid. So what family forevers looked like for um, bio and kin were really unknown at that time. And so in September, we were asked, so once your rights are terminated, you remain in foster care, um, but you also get an adoption worker to help find you your forever. And so when we met her, the first like five sentences were, are you interested in adopting him? And we're still like taking on this shift of like, wow, zero to 60 days is, or zero, 30 to 90 days is not going to be 30 to 90 days. But kind of zero to 60 as far as, <laughs> as far as how quickly this is going. Yeah. Like in, Cami, I tell you, my heart was moving so fast. It could not process. Like this is that moment where those intentions were great, but like forever, like I'm just getting to know him and we're just like getting to bond and like, yes, progress is happening, but forever, <laughs> like it felt, it felt so big. And so we honestly, like, we're like, we'll strongly consider and talk about it. Like we did not put our yes on the table right away. Um, we are s- still in this space forever in the space of like bio family is right if safe and healthy, kin is right if safe and healthy and strong prior resistant, like pre-existent relationship. And so we just really felt like, honestly, we prayed a lot and it really felt like, you know what, God's asking us to go forward in this. Like there's a reason these people are asking us to say yes also, because they were pursuing other family, kin bio. Um, So yeah, we, we said yes there with like, nervous hearts really um and that was September of 2019 we did all of our paperwork had it all done in December um it was a competitive adoption with a family member and there were lots of times between September and January where we were asking our adoption worker like should we step back so he can have his forever quicker is this family member like safe and loving and a good fit for who he is and who he's going to become. We were at a challenge because that family member didn't live in our town and didn't live like lived hours away. And so it was challenging to build a relationship. And I think also that's where, gosh, I really wish like in my heart still, and this is something that I'll work through forever. um, I wish I knew her better. So I could have made the judgment call, but I had to really trust the state. Um, so we pushed forward, um, and the pandemic hit and it took forever. And so, yeah, that's kind of like where 
our hearts were in the really big beginning of it and like throughout is just advocating, asking questions where we felt empowered, but following our hearts and following the lead of the team that does the information that you were, yeah, Yeah. that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So did Landon know that you were planning on adopting him? What did that, what did that conversation look like with him? So Landon really went through this like constant change mind, like was in a constant change mindset. Like this was a stepping stone for him. He would ask us about his next house a lot. Um, and really like he, so he knew that he was either going to go to this family members or he was going to stay with us forever. And he, he really, yeah, he, he was an anxious little boy, like to be complete. He was feeling feelings. I hope no, well, plenty of kids feel them and it's so heartbreaking, but like, just so nervous about the unknowns and being there, their most present and key attachment at the time, like, and not being able to give him those answers. Like, honey, I have no idea. And soon. And honestly, I would say the biggest mistake, like, oh, the biggest bummer for his heart in the process. One of the biggest bummers, there's so many um, for these kids, but was he was told he'd know about his forever by his birthday. And that's pre-pandemic. You did not, we did not, we did not share that information. It was shared by a professional that should have known not to share it. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, so that wasn't the case. And he didn't know by his birthday. And so, yeah, he was just like constantly asking and it would come up in little areas of our walk, like our nightly walks. He'd be like, so have you talked to the judge yet? Do you know? And it's just like, so yeah, he, he was four or five, but like totally feeling it and totally wanting to know. Like you said, lots of children feel this, but it just, it's so frustrating that so many kids have to know, you know, mm-hmm. when will I know, you know, right. when will I know what, what's it going to look like next? So when did you finally make it official? It was not December. Terribly, um, yeah. I was going to say yeah, last month. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, not terribly long ago. We were recording this like December. Yeah. Right before Christmas is when we made it official and we could tell him like we were in a state of like certainty in like October, we told him and shared with him. And so that's when he could start to like feel, but then of course there's still all the legal processes and stuff, but yeah. So it was law, like in terms of like us, him arriving to finalizing an adoption, relatively short foster care timeline. But like the adoption piece just was so long and so hard for him. Did you tell him in any sort of like specific special way? Like what, what did it look like for him? Cause I can imagine, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal to know that. It is, it is a big deal to know that. And it's so funny. I actually like set my phone up to record it. Cause you never know what you're going to like, how it's going to go, especially at that like five year old age. So we like mm-hmm. sat him down and we're like, Hey buddy, we have something to talk, talk to you about. Like we finally got confirmation from the judge. Um, and you're going to stay here. Like we found out you get to stay here forever. And he's like, I get to adopt you guys. Oh, how and precious. He was so, so excited. Like he was so excited in the moment. And that lasted about 30 seconds. Like I get to stay here forever. That's what he had started to like long for in the mm-hmm. process. Cause he had gotten really comfortable in our home and we had spent the whole summer, him and I, like after about 30 seconds, he was like, but what about, and was asking about the other family members and asking about like, 
one of the hardest things with kids that are in care is they think that they're bad. They think that that no matter what you tell them, they feel like this is happening to them because they're bad or they're making bad choices. And so this is my fault. Yeah. Yeah. I've grown to really despise like the bad kid. It's not a bad kid. It's a bad choice is really like whenever I hear like anyone say good boy, bad boy, like yeah, no, <laughs> no, and you probably no, know that yeah, from education. No. Like that language mm-hmm. is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I even like when I say good boy to my dog, I'm like, oh, I need a different phrase. <laughs> but like, he just, he... <laughs> I like that you fetched that right? stick. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sp- behavior specific. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. So it was like really quickly after finding out he was like, but what if I'm bad? And I'm like, ah, no, honey, like, this is forever. This is love. This is what love looks like. This is what we want you to, uh, what love looks like is really hard to say because he is loved by someone, like by his bio parents. And like, so I guess it's not the right right way to say it, but like, buddy, this is what your forever looks like. This is what adoption looks like. It looks like no matter what choices you make, we are here to love you and support you. Unconditional. Yeah. Yep. And so like that, I mean, that's something he'll, those kids, like kids in general that go through care work through forever is that this didn't happen to me because I'm bad. And it didn't happen to me because my bio parents are bad. It is basically a compiling of like choices and situations that happen that have consequences or have, yeah, really have consequences. And so it, th- that's well, the hardest yeah. part. I think at what was like, it was, he was so excited to have that answer and you could tell it brought relief in like the weeks to come. The impact is forever. And the concern and worry is something that he'll, he'll work on all those kids work on forever. So now that he has officially been adopted and you know, you're, you know, a month or so in what, what does your life now look like? And I really, a lot of that is that our visits greatly reduced. Like that is the biggest thing. I think when people go from foster care to the adoption world is visits. Um, Our visits greatly reduced about a month and a half in and we, so they cut in half and then now they're cut into zero, like whatever program, like right now we have a therapy program that we participate in as a family um, for him. And that's really all we have. We don't have people calling and checking in on us. We don't have two visits a month of people. We don't have family visits to coordinate. Like yeah. it's all in our court for what we want to do and how we want to fill our schedules. And honestly, Cammy, mm-hmm. the bit, like everyone always asks, like the day-to-day hasn't changed, but our control of our schedule and the control of leaving the state without permission. <laughs> so then I mean, just within a short amount of time, you know, relatively, you had gotten married, you were planning on having kids, but not yet. And then all of a sudden, this wonderful, wonderful thing happened in your life and you are forever changed and your family is so much richer. I think, yeah, foster, foster care is something that so needed, uh, but it's so hard. And so thank you for you and your husband being those solid people to be willing to take that on because your heart, I feel just breaks, you know, certain ways. I was so excited when you posted the 
picture where we finally got to oh, see his I face. Know. I was like, oh, that's what he looks <laughs> like. Yes. And you can, gosh, that like Landon's smile is just so full of joy. That is not a circumstance, an adoption day smile. That is like his day-to-day smile. Like he is, he so full of joy. Bright. So bright. Yeah. So, okay. A few more questions. What would your encouragement be to people who are foster parents or who are considering uh, fostering? You know what? Like go in, like go into it, like try it out. Like you you can go to training, you can go to orientations and you can still say no, like you are in control of what goes forward, but experience and press into that like deep desire and feeling, um, especially if it's persistent because the world, the, the world needs more foster parents with pure hearts. And the more foster parents we have, the less pressure the system has to put kids in places that aren't perfect for them aren't good fits. I should say not perfect. Nothing's perfect. So then what encouragement would you give to, you know, support people of those looking to foster or current foster parents? I think that this goes with to and when you're supporting anyone in life, don't ask, what do you need? Just find a need. Just do it. it. Because as a foster parent, like I, I kind of alluded to in the beginning, like we didn't struggle with like routine or like, we didn't struggle, like getting food on the table meals were helpful. We didn't like, so I didn't feel comfortable asking for, it felt weird asking for meals. It felt weird asking for clothes or toys or whatever, but like, just find something that one speaks to you too. Cause it's got it like, make it fun for you. Like, is it, you want to take, let the parents get out on a date night and become a certified like foster care or like approved foster care babysitter. Is it that you want to gift them day passes to the zoo? Um, like little things mm-hmm. like that, or coming over for coffee and folding laundry while you you're here. Like, oh girl, it's, it's you're singing my song. Kind of yep. how you would love and support any family by giving them a break any or meeting a yeah. need. Like there, it's so hard to vocalize yeah. the need because you don't really know what it is, right? You're so living in the moment. And another thing that I really ask of families supporting foster parents is don't pry into the story too much. It's not our story to tell you why the child is in care. It's not our story to tell you what the future one, we don't know what the future looks like, but like just really respect the children's story, whether they're in foster care, they've been adopted. It's not really the adoptive foster parents story to tell. And it's really sacred to that child. Yeah. Respect that story. And for all things, please don't ask about it in front of the child. Oh my gosh. Like the, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It seems like that would be an easy, but yeah, people are dumb. People You just don't think about it. You're like, Oh my gosh, Sammy and Jeremy, I haven't seen you in forever. How is this foster placement going? Are you going to adopt him? Oh girl, like honey, there's so much, like he heard that and he, I can't answer it. Like I have to be so careful how I answer it so I can protect his little heart and his ears. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So that would be my support. Like one, yeah. just dive in and help like find a need that you think they might have and meet it. Don't ask unless like, yeah, obviously there's certain situations like find the need and meet it. And then just be really respectful of that child's story and their bio family. Sammy, I am so glad that you were willing to share. I'm, I'm, I was, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad to yeah. finally know the story of how it all went down. 
you guys, I will, Sammy, I will, I will put Sammy's Instagram in the handle or her, her, her Instagram handle in the uh, description. So if you are, you know, have any questions about foster care or adoption, or, you know, you're just kind of curious about it, what it looks like, um, I'm certain Sammy would be willing to like totally I mean, her heart is totally in that. Absolutely. So Sammy, thank you of so course. much. I so appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. It's kind of fun yes. to talk about the story and like let, shine some light into what it really looks like. Like I said, it's no story is the same, but it's, it's a beautiful foster care is a beautifully hard world. Yeah. And you know, we live in a world that is so imperfect and so we need more love. And um, I'm so glad that Landon was able to find love in your home and find his forever home. What a beautiful blessing. So thank you guys for listening. Um, We will catch you next week on the B podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the B podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.